HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I'm here today with a very special guest. Um, we have Mr. Jeff Porter. Uh, Jeff is the person who basically runs the wine programs or oversees the wine directors at all of the Batali Bastianich New York restaurants, uh, which includes Del Posto, uh, New York Times four-star restaurant, uh, Babo, um, Lupa, Otto, um, Italy maybe, uh, not the Italy, uh, and, and, uh, and more. Um, Jeff, welcome to the show. It's really excited to have you here. Thanks a lot, Joe. This is awesome. Well, was, I missing, was I missing any restaurant uh, in New York? Did you say Esca? I didn't say Esca. And, uh, Esca. And Esca as well. So perhaps, uh, I mean, I think that, that Del Posto is probably, it's the, the greatest Italian wine list that, that I've ever seen. Most comprehensive, uh, just extraordinarily, extraordinary selection of Barolo, the Piedmont wines are just uh, are, are awesome. Um, I can't begin to say how much I, I, I think that's just such a great a great program. But before we talk about how uh, you know how great the programs you oversee and what what you do and what your life is like, uh, we'd like to start out with the best wine we've had um, in the last week, and I'll give you a chance to think about it. Uh, my best wine in this past week. And this is the first time that I'm going to ever say Bordeaux um, because I don't. I tend not to drink a ton of Bordeaux, um, but this was given to me as a gift. A is bottle. there a webcam so I can be like, whoa, uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, No, there isn't. Well, maybe we should install a webcam. Uh, you can see uh, Jeff's just amazed expression. Uh, it was a bottle of 1990 um a right bank Bordeaux. It was so elegant and pretty and. Uh, not what you'd, uh, not what I'd expect, um, you know. Uh, so it was, it was awesome. And uh, my girlfriend Alyssa and I made a venison uh, out of downtown Italian. My first time cooking venison, and it was actually super easy. I'd encourage you guys to do it. It was like one of the most wine-friendly meats. 
it is pricey. It's like an expensive ass piece of meat, like thirty dollars plus a pound. But oh, you, you didn't shoot it. We didn't shoot it. Yeah, if you shoot it, then uh, and coming from a Texan, he's like, you didn't shoot that thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was awesome. So it's in the it's in downtown Italian with Bordeaux. I mean, that that was some good living on a Sunday night. What was uh, the vintage? Uh, Nineteen ninety. Nice. And this was a crazy thing. So it was a gift. It was uh, from one of our, one of my friends and one of our one of our investors. He's like, I don't know about this wine. Like, there's no label on it. Uh, that I could tell what what bottle it was by the by the foil by the capsule. But um, we didn't know what vintage it was until we until we took the the foil off. It's like, whoa, 1990. That's awesome. And it was pretty damn delicious. Have you okay? I've given you some okay. time to think. Yeah, What's so, the best? Well, I wanted to listen to you, so, but I, I you before the show you. I'd gotten my mind thinking about it, and last week, the best wine I had, it was the first time I'd ever had this producer, and I, I actually n- never heard of him, but I, I've been told it's kind of one of those uh, hard-to-get wines because he stopped making wine in 2005, is uh, Jackie Trucheau, Trucheau Martin, uh, it was a Jevy Chambertin. It was Premier Crew, but we drank a lot of wine that night, so I don't remember what it was, <laughs> but it was 88 was the vintage. Wow. And, you know, working in the restaurants I work, I actually don't have a lot of opportunity to try Burgundy or Bordeaux or anything outside of Italy, except for Champagne. I mean, cry me a river, right? But it's it's fun to try wines from from other places that you're not as familiar with. And it was a it was so beautiful. It was just really pretty. And we had a, a rabbit stew. And it was fantastic. Nice. This is homemade rabbits too. Uh, it was yeah. homemade. I didn't Sweet. make it. Um, I was at a friend's house with with a, a group of other uh, wine nerds, and yes. uh, it was it was a good time. All right, that sounds awesome. So, Jeff, tell us about your life. Uh, what what is it? What is it like? What is your daily? Your day to day? I mean, this you you have to be one of the most. Uh, powerful wine buyers of Italian wine in the country. You're overseeing these these huge programs, uh, thousands of selections uh, just between Babo and Del Posto uh, alone. Um, how, do you, how do you manage your day-to-day? What, tell us about what your job actually is. It's a, I'm still trying to define it. Um, right, because it's something that didn't exist before, before you. I remember when I worked at Babo, it was, there was no uh, person who was overseeing multiple lists. Every house kind of took care of itself. Right. And it's it's kind of a combination of, of, of that still. Um, you know, it's 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 funny to say a most powerful buyer. And, <laughs> I mean, my, my job isn't really about buying wine anymore. It's it's more about guiding. And it's it's exciting because I'm really taking this position as a helping helping others. It's like the pay it forward wine director. I'm trying to teach people things that I was successful at and things mm-hmm. that I failed at in in my career uh so they can curate and create experiences for guests at various locales uh between lupa the fun fun easygoing osteria to del posto which is the you know still i i find it a lot of fun uh but you know suit and tie kind of wearing sommelier gig um but the the day-to-day is it's it's different i mean the fun thing about the restaurant industry and the extremely stressful part is as you know is every day is different, uh, be it an HR issue, uh, being someone sick. I mean, our our restaurants depend on bodies, human beings being there. And if one person's not there, you have to figure it out. And it, it could be you, um, which could set your day back. Like right now, we're I'm doing a lot of work trying to in 2014. So I'm going through all the numbers, doing what I call the glamorous side of, of the wine business, the business part. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, there's not a lot of wine tasting when looking through spreadsheets. Yeah, staring at it. Um, so your like, eyes get blurry and... You know, like, wow. I mean, I look at kids kids these days who, you know, there are classes about Excel in college, and I, I didn't get that. So it's just been a lot of trial and error to figure out how to do a formula. Same here. I had, I, <laughs> between <laughs> European studies and food studies, I, I, by the time I got my master's degree, I had no Excel experience at all before uh, before opening Delanima. And it, it definitely helps for all those <laughs> listening. If you don't know how to use Excel, it, 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 it's a very powerful program. Uh, luckily, we have some people in our company in the accounting office who are very good at it, so they help us out when we're, we get stuck. But my day-to-day, I look at a week, and depending on the, the week of the month, I'm deciding you know, where I need to be, what I need to do. Um, obviously, at the beginning and the end of the month, it's all focused around inventory. I, I directly manage five restaurants. So within the Batali Bastianich group here in New York, I don't uh, do anything with the Casamono or Bar Hamon in New York, I, I just work with the Italian restaurants. Um, so I work with each of the head sommeliers or wine directors and organize their week for them with inventory, and I, I look at what they're doing. I try to meet with them weekly to kind of go over where things are going, what are some issues that we need to address, be it on the wine list, um, with HR, uh, with service, You know what, what they've been successful at, what they've not been successful at. So that's the kind of overall weekly duties that I need to accomplish. I, I try to meet with producers when they're in town and, you know, take them around and introduce them to the staff. Uh, and I love doing – my favorite thing to do is education. Um, once a month, we try to get all the, um, the, the sommeliers from all the restaurants together. So on Monday, we did a, a kind of an in-depth Barolo tasting. Mm. And there were 30 people. Which is crazy to think. So there were 33 people, three people from another restaurant, a restaurant that was just right, uh, Caligli owned Sons, right next door to Del Posto. So we invited their Somme team over. And um, by the way, they just have an extraordinary wine list there. Yeah. Ryan is doing such incredible work. They, that restaurant crushes it. And it's, wow. it's so, it's, if, if you want to go drink well-priced aged wine, that's, yeah. it, uh, of that tier in New York, it's a place to, to go to. Definitely one of my favorite restaurants, and, and our director of operations, Heather, it's like one of her absolute favorite restaurants in the world. She, you'll, she'll see her there all the time. And Not to out her. Sorry, Heather. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, they're, they're like house beers called Shift Drink. It's awesome. And they, they make that themselves. They right? do. That's awesome. All right. So you'll get all these uh, small A's together and, and a few friends, a few neighbors, and you'll go through an in-depth – is this a commune by commune tasting? Well, so this one was – I didn't – I – Yes and no. I mean, th- this tasting was a focus on Lamora and Saralunga, and it wasn't versus. I don't want to put the word versus into the tasting because it's more. I wanted to show the extremes. You know, we're all taught in in Barolo education that you know Lamora is the light, pretty, elegant side, and Saralunga is the big, brawny, powerful side. And it's rare to actually taste the wines in context mm-hmm. next to each other. So. We did all 2008 vintages. We tried seven wines, um, all crew wines, and I did uh, modern and traditional producers and had everybody talk about them. We went in depth into like the soil chemistry and the idea of, of the different soil types in each of the regions and then talked about crews. And then I, I really tried to lead a discussion about the wine. So I want the, the, the staff to talk about it. And the, the cool thing is to see disagreements it's not arguments it's 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 healthy debate 
you know, people like, well, I don't, I don't understand the aromatics or I think this wine is aromatic and they, they get into it and having the younger sommeliers and, and the older sommeliers hear people's ideas and understanding the wine is moving the program forward uh, as a whole. And did the, uh, the, I don't want to say conventional wisdom, but did your, the preconceived thoughts on those, those communes kind of show through, um, was La Mora indicative of what you'd expect for La Mora and Sarlunga indicative, or was it more were more producers' uh, styles showing through more? La Mora, I, I, like, yes to both. <laughs> um, I, I think what it, it, it showed everybody is that with it, the preconceived notions of, of the communes are definitely there. Saralunga, the Saralunga wines are big and brawny and powerful. Within the commune, the 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 consistency it was there. Obviously, there are variations based upon producer and, and people that used, you know, new French oak versus Boti. There was a big difference, mm-hmm. but it, it was neat. I mean, the conventional wisdom did rain down, and it was like, yes, Lamora wines are much more aromatic. They're much more floral, and the the Saralunga wines are much denser and 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 darker. And uh, you know, these were young wines; they were all 08s. Uh, but it was it was just so amazing to see them all back to back next to each other, which we rarely do. Uh, even when you taste it, it's amazing how, how I'll find even Italian focus sommeliers will be able to talk much more in depth about the Grand Cruz of Burgundy uh, than the communes of Barolo. Uh, and I think that it's that it's because there is a wide range of, of producer styles, but doing something like that, I think, is super, super helpful. And it's a good way to, uh, to parlay to our to a next conversation about La Festa di Barolo, which last year was held at Del Posto, and it was just this awesome event. I got to taste just extraordinarily well-aged, uh, well-aged wines. It's hard to find very old Barolo, I find, that is in really great condition. And you think about in the 60s and 70s, people were collecting Bordeaux and collecting Burgundy, but you didn't really have, you didn't have that many great producers of Barolo in that, at that time, and there wasn't this idea to collect them and age them and store them properly. And people brought out some pretty awesome examples. What's your involvement this year with uh, with the Festa? It's something that's based on the on the La Pole uh, uh, of Burgundy, and it's just, I think, an, an awesome event. So um, Antonio and Venice Media uh, graciously invited me back to kind of wrangle the sommeliers. It's it's definitely not leading because when <laughs> you when you invite sommeliers from all over the country who who run the greatest wine programs of uh, of America. You're, you're not leading anybody. Everybody has their own own opinion, and, and we all work well together. And so this year, is, it's at the Four Seasons uh, in in uh, Midtown. Is that Midtown? That's Midtown. Uh, okay. I'm still I'm, – I've only lived here four years, so I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure in my geography. I rarely get above 23rd Street. I go to Eskin, that's 43rd and, and 9th. I go there and come straight back, you know. It's, yes. Huh. Um, and you live in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn. I do. I love it. I understand that. Um so this year's La Festa is um, it's this is the third iteration, um, and being held at the Four Seasons. So myself and a, a, another sommelier named Colin, um, we're wrangling the sommeliers to uh, to to work the event. And Festa de Brol is a, a two day event, one day being the, the the grand gala where there's 
16, 15 or 16 producers coming this year. Each of them have a table and they, they bring cool wine. And then everyone who comes is invited to bring amazing wine. The, the coolest thing about Festa de Brollo is seeing the producers taste wines their parents made or their grandparents made and they've never seen before. Right. And, you know, you, you'll look at them and, like, Roberto Conterno of Giacomo Conterno, the first time his eyes were just like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this wine before. I have pictures of it. And he tasted it and he's like, he's like, my mind's blown. He's like, I'm going to go back to the winery and figure out, you know, why and, and the X, Y's and Z's of, of this wine. It was, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. It's awesome. This year, a small producer it's your, your chances are you're not holding on to stock. You need to sell it out to pay your bills. Some larger producers, medium-sized producers, or people who have a long history of, of saving wine might do that, but it's, it's super rare. So a, a special thing. And I just love that the, the types of producers it attracts to the city who might not otherwise be, be traveling. You have some winemakers who, who really enjoy traveling and who are good at it and speak English and, it's it's part of what they do, but then you have others who just want to be at the winery. Um, I think of uh, Giuseppe Rinaldi, mm-hmm. who came a couple of years back, and he's been imported to New York since the '70s, and that was his first trip in like 30 years or something. And to to see him here and, and talk to him in person, he's you know he, he, just an extraordinary wine producer. He's pretty special. Yeah. Who who are you excited that's coming to uh, to this year's? You know, I always he he came. It was the first time he'd come to the United States for a long time. Um, it was Paulo Scavino, and I actually haven't had a had a chance to talk to him because I mainly talk with Eliza, his daughter, and and um, so I'm excited to talk with him again and get into the nitty gritty of 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 his winery and his vineyards again because the there's been a shift in their winemaking style, and I it's it's interesting, and it's I want to talk to him about that, and I know his daughters are are kind of leading that. Yeah, um, but you know he, he's—it's a historical estate, and it's—he's a really neat, nice guy. And yeah, I have to say, the last time I tasted Paulo Scavino wines, I noticed, and uh, they are just more entered—they're—they're—they're they're more exciting than they used to be. And they're always a top quality producer, but and then making just these very like elegant, pretty, uh, age-worthy, smooth wines, but. Now there, there's kind of this energy and excitement in them that I didn't notice before, and I can't really place my finger on, but I, I'd love to find out what some of those changes are as well. I mean, I, I know, in speaking with Elise, and I've been to the winery a few times, um, you know, the, they've decreased the amount of, of barrique. Mm-hmm. Uh, new and old, they're moving a lot to boti and lo- longer macerations. So they're kind of, the pendulum swinging, just like we're seeing across the world, and, and specifically here in the United States with the pursuit of balance and... You know, people are taking their time to... F- now they, they, they've had time to figure out what's right, what's wrong. I always call Italy the newest, oldest wine region in the world um, because, obviously, they've been making wine forever. But this, they had to figure things out post-World War II and to go back to, like, why there aren't a lot of old wines anywhere. Uh, even in some of the, the greatest estates you'd think they'd hold libraries back is post-World War II, Italy was super, super poor. And, you know, even through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it wasn't until the, the 90s where people started seeing money in wine. And so the grandparents and parents were, sell everything. You can't hold on to anything. There's this idea, and still in Piedmont today, even though they're, they're much more like Burgundy, and they're farmers, but they're driving nicer cars than, you know, your soybean farmer might, or your wheat farmer. Um, but 
they 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 have a hard time getting over that thing where if I if I hold it, you know, there may not be a tomorrow. So I I need to sell everything so I can make sure I have enough money to pay my bills. Makes sense when you live through the the world the war years, mm-hmm. right? And your normal everyday life is just upended and and kind of thrown on its end. Um, we do need to take a quick break before we go though. T- uh, Tell us what are the dates of the Festi Roll? Is it possible still to buy tickets? I believe there are a few tickets available. You can go to uh, venicemedia.com and it's February sixth and seventh. And the sixth is the dinner and Correct. a tasting a tasting on the seventh. Correct. Okay, great. So go to venicemedia.com. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jeff Porter of the Batali Bastianich uh, B and B group. This one's called Manufactured Consent by Mamarazzi. This is In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food and Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we're back with Jeff Porter, um, who oversees the wine programs at Del Posto, Babo, Esca, Otto, and Lupa here in New York City. Um, Jeff, I want to talk with you about the state of the American sommelier, because when we both started in the in the industry, it was very different than, than how it is now. Um, I think both of us kind of just, we sort of fell into it. It wasn't what we, we thought we were, we were doing. You grew up in Texas, moved to California. And first, let's start with how, how did you get into it when you, when you got to California? Well, I got it in, into wine while I was in college at the University of Texas. And it was, um, I had worked at a restaurant before I turned 21. And the chef there, uh, it was a small little German restaurant. 
and uh, pounding schnitzels is what I did, um, literally. <laughs> um, and uh, he would give me a glass of wine every night, and I found it really interesting. And he would tell me, tell me stories about it. And so I got some books, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And being a nerd, you know, in a glass of wine or a bottle of wine, you've got science, art, uh, geography, meteorology, any any ology and any academic study, I think you can distill down into to 750 milliliters of grape juice. And so I started reading more and more and more. And then I uh, there was a wine shop in Austin that I really liked. And before I turned 21, I just started going, hanging out there and being like, hey, guys, I'll move boxes for you. And they, uh, on my 21st birthday, January 21st, 1998, um, I got a call and said, hey, come to a wine tasting. It was the GM. So I went to this wine tasting. And we, it was for Santa Barbara Wines at the Omni Hotel in Austin, Texas. Met Lane Tanner. Uh, I remember tasting those wines. Wow. And he wa- uh, he, the GM walked around with me. And one of my favorite wine expressions is this really tall, like six foot seven, 290-pound linebacker or defensive end um, wine salesman named Lou bent over. And he was like, you smell that boy? And I'm like, I was like, yes, sir. I smell that. I had no idea what he was talking about. He's like, that dog can hunt. And <laughs> wow. I think that's the best wine expression I've ever heard in my life. But what I, does it even mean? I, it must be good. <laughs> that's, that's how I took it. I mean, if that dog can hunt, that means the dog's good at, you know, hunting, which is yeah. good for us Texans. And, um, so, uh, I love that. That's not <laughs> growing up in Queens. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they offered me the job and I, I, I just worked a few days a week, four hours a day and I just moved boxes and, you know, I was around a lot of, you know, seasoned wine professionals and I just became super geeked out and I wanted to go to med school and I'd taken the MCATs and I applied to medical school. And when time came, they said, Hey, do you want to be the beer buyer? And I'm like, yeah, I want to be the beer buyer. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the coolest person in my apartment building. And uh, that's that's how I fell into it. And then, you know, moved to California, and I, it kind of snowballed from there. Um, but It's crazy. There are so many parallels in, in what you do currently and what, what I do and, and how you got into it. And for me, it was a month after my 21st birthday. I, I walked into Italian wine merchants, and I was like, this is the coolest freaking place I've ever been to with their salumery in the back and the dumb waiter that, that got the wine from the cellar, even though I, I bought, you know, a $15 bottle of Feudi di San Gregorio Rubrato and they, they like wrap it up all nice for me. And it's like, ah, oh, I love this place. I just want to be here. <laughs> and, right. and I was like, what can I do to be here? And it seemed, and uh, yeah, same thing. Didn't think I'd ever, you know, started in that, and you worked for a distributor, right? I worked for a distributor, then I moved to Nap, and I worked at a restaurant there, and then I did corporate retail, and then I got in with the BB BB Batali Bastianich Hospitality BB. Group in uh, Los Angeles with Osteria and Pizzeria Moza, which are absolutely freaking awesome restaurants. They're just so extraordinarily good. And uh, so you were there for about a year and a half, and then came mm, over. They, uh, they shipped me, shipped me east. Shipped you east. So now you work, you oversee about thirty sommeliers. What, what is that? You know, when when we started, when you started in the, the late nineties, I was a little bit after you. That a sommelier wasn't what it is today. It's a it's a different thing. And their sommeliers are kind of 
you dine out often and there are some household names of, of sommeliers. Um, how do you think that this affects the, the, the young sommeliers that, that are applying for jobs with you? Um, is it, are you? Are you seeing just a lot more excited people and it's a, it's a, a, a profession now and it attracts so many different people? Are, are, are the expectations uh, out of whack or in line? What, what are you seeing? I think it's, it's again, it's all of that. I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's kind of, I equate it to what happened in the late 90s, t- 2000s with like the Food Network. You know, celebrity chefs happen. You know, there's Imre Lagasse and Bobby Flay and Mario Batali. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be a chef. And they just see these guys on TV and the women on TV cooking and, and making making money and doing neat, cool things and not realizing how long it took to get there um, and the hard work that it takes to get there. Um, and I, I think you're seeing the same thing now today in, in the wine industry. You know, Raj Parr didn't become Raj Parr yesterday it's taken him 20 years of extremely hard work dedication um to and in i mean i've known raj for a long time and he is one of the hardest workers i've ever met in my life and you know and taking those opportunities that were around him and recognizing the good and the bad and and moving forward is 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 what's led to a lot of his success Mm -hmm. and you know, I think a lot of the, the kids, now you can go to school, you know, there's, there's the Master Sommelier program is a lot, or the Court of Master Sommeliers is, is a lot bigger than it was, you know, when I started out. Um, you know, there's so much information. The, the public, you know, even now recognizes, which I, here's the good part, is being a sommelier, when I first started out, my parents were like, huh, a sommelier? Is that a real job? Okay, we're going to let him live his fantasy and then he'll go to med school. Then now... You know, it's a, it's a it's a profession, and just like being being a chef is now considered pr- profession, which is great. But I think conversely, the 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 sharp end of, of that double edged sword um, is that the expectations for some of the young sommeliers are that you know they can come out because they know all the grand crews or all the premier crews of champagne and burgundy and can rattle off all the the classified gross of Bordeaux that they can manage a wine program, lead people deal with guests who are much older than them, may have more experience or may not, and, and understand how to work a table. And kids come in and they're like, you know, I don't need I don't need to learn from you. Yeah. You know, I don't need to learn. It's not even learning from me, but it's learning from the captains. Like, the captain that I work with, you know, when I work the floor at Del Posto, those uh, like when I used to do it every night, I learned so much about service from him and hospitality. And I think a lot of people forget that when you're a sommelier, it's the hospitality industry first, and wine's just one of the cool things we get to do. Right. I, I find that I, I've, in some ways, forgotten so much about wine knowledge. When before uh, before we opened Elanima, I'd done the diploma at the WSET, and I was doing the, the court, and I, I did this other program called Society of Wine Educators. I was like a certified wine educator. And I had all of this like awesome, all these wine facts stored up in the back of my head, and now I've, I've forgotten most of them. <laughs> but I'm, <clears throat> I'm better at making guests happy and that's the essence. That's what that's what it is. It doesn't matter if you have every tool in in the shed if you don't know how to use them. Um, and yes, I, I couldn't agree more that it's 
you know, I've, I've learned about service over the years and, and making guests happy. And that's really, that's the only industry we're in. We're not in the industry of memorizing every fact and spewing it out at a guest to impress them. Um, so, so that's really, that's really interesting. And what advice would you give young sommeliers other than to read Raj Parr's book, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Secrets of the sommelier. I, I think humility, um, patience, um, you know, it's, here in New York is it's in- interesting. You know, I by the time I'd gotten to New York, I'd already been selling wine for 15 years, and within like the first five months, I had tasted wines that I'd only read about. And you know, the young sommeliers here in the city, if you're working at you know almost any any restaurant that has a sommelier team, are drinking wines that or tasting wines, hopefully not drinking them, but maybe drinking them at, at home with their friends that most people only dream of. And so my biggest fear for a lot of the sommeliers is not staying grounded, but you have to have that appreciation of that $10 bottle of wine, just like you have for that $1,000 bottle of wine. Because at the end of the day, the majority of the wine that you're going to sell, no matter where you're at, is going to be on the more value-centric side. So you have to be able to appreciate what that wine is for what it is. Even at Del Posto? Yeah, you, you have to understand. I mean, we're not necessarily going to sell you a ten dollars bottle of wine. Um, it's, I don't think you, there's not even a ten dollars glass of wine uh, to be found at Del Posto. Um, but you've got to understand that if, if a guest is going to come in, like I always use the example, my wife and I, before we were married and we were dating, we both really like food and experience is what we've always strived. We we don't get each other gifts; we get each other experiences. And so, to have certain experiences when you're young, you save your money. And then you go and you have that experience, be it travel or whatnot. And for us, it was dining. So the first time we came to New York, we went to Danielle. And uh, this was in 2005. And, you know, I made no money. She made no money. But we saved a lot of money. And it was a very expensive meal for us. But everybody there made us feel feel great. And, you know, my knowledge of wine then was, was pretty base. And I knew what I could afford. And I explained that to the sommelier. And because the sommelier was a professional and understood that they brought me the greatest wine I could afford because I couldn't explain DRC. I couldn't talk in that, that, that league. So if those guests come to any of our restaurants, be it Lupa's in Osteria or Del Posto is a four star restaurant. We, if someone says, I want, uh, you know, trip, trip, is it trapiche trape? <laughs> a Malbec, you know, that's that they normally get at their trace picos. So that one, maybe trace picos, but there's a, Trapiche, uh, I think. I don't know. Trapiche. Uh. Um, but they, they say they want a Malbec that they find normally at their grocery store. You, you need to understand that, not just from a, an, uh, an intellectual book-read kind of experience, but you need to be able to to deci- decipher that in the right fashion so you make them happy. Because that's, that's all it's about. Yes. The one reason I left corporate retail and the distributor area, distributor world was the instant gratification that you get from restaurant work. You get to see when you make someone happy and it's so much fun and it fills you with joy and, and excitement. And I've made so many friends by serving people and that, that's, that's exciting. Did your boss at the uh, distributor have the same conversation with you that, that mine did with me when I worked for uh, when I worked for a distributor saying, 
What are you crazy? No one leaves working for a distributor to go work the crazy restaurant hours in that would that are in a restaurant. Everyone does it the other way. You're going backwards, Jeff. Did it? Did, did you have that conversation? I had that exact same conversation. Yeah. <laughs> they're like they're shaking their head. They're like, "Why are you doing this?" And I was like, "Because I want to make people happy immediately." Yes. Yeah. Um, it's something that has been making a lot of people happy immediately that you've been doing. And I've been following you on Twitter and I cannot uh, believe that you're getting away with this. The five for five dollars at Del Posto. And you talk more about this. You're pouring just amazing wines and you're just giving it to people. It's almost like the five dollars is a technicality that you have to charge something. Well, you can go to Subway and get your five dollar footlong <laughs> or you can come every other Saturday at Del Posto. And get five unique wines and kind of led by one of the sommeliers of Del Posto in a, in a discussion. So <clears throat> in May, it'll be two years that we've been doing this. So we started uh, two, two Memorial Days ago. And so the whole idea, um, Jeff Katz, the GM, and I were trying to think, like, how can we make Del Posto as approachable as possible on the wine side? And the idea was like, well, let's at, at first the idea was to call it community wines, like this community based thing where people could come and, and try some neat wines for just a little bit. And then we were like, well, it's five wines, five bucks. That sounds more fun. Five for five. Um, so the whole idea is to introduce our sommeliers, introduce these wines that, um, you know, sometimes they're really rare and sometimes they're just really unique. And it's not about the money. It's just about the experience and giving people that opportunity to taste wine. So it's an it's an hour long. Um, Sometimes the, there's always a theme. So be it like the, the last one we did every the last Saturday before uh, Christmas, we do one that's champagne, and I always host that one because I love champagne. And so it's all it's five champagnes. It's, they're super unique, and we talk about them. And, and my whole goal for five for five is to get the guests to talk to me. No, it's not a top-down discussion. I want them to be able to build their, their wine vocabulary so when they go to a restaurant or go to a retail shop, they're curating the experience the best way possible for them because they're making the investment. We're invested in them emotionally, but it's a business transaction for, for us. Um, we've got a lot of people that we're emotionally invested in uh, from a business standpoint and, and our emotion, but we've got a, you know, as, as, a, as a wine buyer myself, as an individual who buys wine and drinks it at home, I want to make sure I'm getting the best bang for my buck. And by knowing more, I'm able to do that for myself. And I always like to teach people, you really, if you don't like a wine, let's talk about it. So we pour wines and I always ask, what don't, who doesn't like this? Okay, let's talk about that. Because you need to remember that. So when you come to me as a sommelier, you can say, I really don't like this kind of style. These are the, the things I don't like. And automatically I've eliminated x y and z so i can make sure i'm going to try to make the best experience for you and it's it's tons of fun and the people we get are what's the next one you have coming up this saturday and uh the theme unfortunately is tbd (laughs) (laughs) um i gotta talk to my my wine director mystery it's It's a mystery it's a mystery and Um, is there a way to sign up or do you just show up you just show up it's uh starts at one o'clock uh so it'll be this saturday which is the 10th uh at one o'clock at del posto it's like the a absolute bargain. I mean, to to have the those extraordinary wines and the time of uh, of your your you know your beverage team is uh, for for an hour for five dollars. It just blows my mind that 
you're able to get away with this. There are, <laughs> there are values in New York. It's a, it's truly not awesome. just at your bodega. All right, Jeff. Thank you so much. It's no, been such a pleasure Joe. to have you on That's the show. Awesome. Before we go, I need to plug uh, a couple of things that we have coming up on January seventeenth. Um, we're going to have our uh, Amphora wine classes are starting up again. We uh, we oversold our last one on Amphora aged wine, so we're doing that class over again because we had a, a long wait list, um, and there are still a few spots left for that. Um, you can find me at the Festa di Barolo on February 6th. I'll be there for the dinner. February 7th, however, we have our annual Eat, Drink, and Bloody Mary contest uh, that we're holding at La Picho, and I uh, hope to see you there. All right, thanks so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.